Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Igniting Hearts with Benjamin and Tara Dietrich. We wanted to release this message to you on I am commissioned. The Lord is releasing a commissioning word to the body of Christ right now, and we felt that this would encourage your heart to press on in all that God has commissioned you to be. Enjoy as you listen, and remember to tune in next time for another episode of Igniting Hearts with Benjamin and Tara Dietrich. God bless you. I want you to say this with me. I am commissioned. I really feel this is an important word for us. The Lord woke me up uh, very early one morning in Israel uh, where we were staying by the Sea of Galilee. And he said, Benjamin, I want you to release a word to my people that they are commissioned. And I said, God, I think they know that. He said, no, they don't know that. They don't know that. They haven't got that revelation deep inside of them of the depth of the commissioning that they have received in the glory. Say the glory. And the glory is with us, and the glory is what commissions us. And so I'm going to share three simple things today. Number one, we are commissioned as witnesses in the earth. Number two, we are commissioned from the glory. And number three, we are commissioned intergenerationally. And we are in a season of harvest. And in this season of harvest, it's a go season. Just say that, go it's a go season. The Lord is going to take some of you, you felt like you've been on the bench, and God's about to take you off the bench and put you in the game because it's a go season. It's a go time in the earth because there's harvest breaking out all around us in America. There's harvest breaking out all around us in the nations. I'm telling you, Robert Hodgkin and I just got back from Russia. Uh, we weren't sure we were going to be able to you know, get in and out, and the Lord just sovereignly opened the doors for us in an amazing way. And we we were there with 3,000 hungry people that literally you would do an altar call for like a, a headache or like, oh, your pinky might hurt. I'm being facetious, obviously, but like a, an altar call for a headache and the entire place would come down to the altar just because they wanted a touch from God. And they actually warned us, if you do an altar call, everybody's going to come. And I said, everybody? They said, no, like everybody. And I said, okay, well, let's go for it. And so we actually laid hands on everybody twice. It took us about three hours with the other ushers throwing people through the lines. You, you remember that game whack-a-mole? You ever play that game whack-a-mole? It was like whack-a-mole laying hands on people, like trying to just, you know, lay hands on people as quick as you could and just whack-a-mole in the glory. But that's the extent of hunger. I was, I was in Croatia, the Netherlands, Switzerland. I've been to several nations in Israel. Revival's breaking out in Israel. I don't know if you saw the video that we did, Robert Hodgkin and Francisco and myself, Pastor Francisco and myself from the upper room. And we were there, we were praying in the upper room. Actually, Marcella was singing for us. She's a beautiful voice, but it's sort of a secret, so we'll kind of keep it between us, okay? But she was singing for us, and it was absolutely beautiful. We were worshiping, and all of a sudden, this one group started to get loud, and then another group started to get loud, and then we started to get loud, and there was a group from Honduras, a group from Ghana, Africa, a group from Brazil. We were there from the United States, all around the United States, and we all just started spontaneously speaking in tongues. Alvina was there. She can tell you, I have never in 21 trips to Israel experienced anything like that. It's normally, let's not step on the toes of the other denominations that are here with us. And there's, there's a point to that. You know, there's a point to honor different faith traditions, but this time it was like a roar from heaven just came through. And the louder one group got, the louder the other group got. It was like we were giving each other permission to cry out in the spirit. And I've never encountered anything like that in the upper 
room, I was like, is this what it sounded like on the day of Pentecost? And so there's a fresh go, there's a fresh commissioning, and you are commissioned from the glory. Let me define commission for you, because I know we're limited on time. A commission has four different definitions, and they're very interesting, and they're all applicable for your life and your assignment in God. Number one is an instruction, command, or duty given to a person or group of people, an instruction, command, or duty. Number two is a group of people officially charged with a particular function. Isn't that powerful? A group of people officially charged with a particular function. Number three is to give an order for or authorize the production of something, such as a building, a piece of equipment, a bridge, something like that. You commission a building, you commission a bridge, you commission a ship as it goes out to the sea. Number four is to bring something into working condition, something that is not in working condition to bring it into working condition. The first time we were commissioned as a species, as humanity, was in Genesis 1.28, and it says this, and God blessed them, say blessed, and God said to them, be fruitful, say fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the uh, heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I love this passage of scripture, Genesis 1:28, because this is where the father commissioned humanity, male and female equally, and, and it's sad that we still have to say that, but I need to say that male and female equally were given the dominion mandate as dominion stewards in the earth. But what I love about this passage is sometimes the things that we gloss over and that we pass over, it says that God blessed them. Now, that word blessed is the word barak, and it literally means to kneel and to bless. So what did it look like? How much bigger was God? Just let your, your sanctified imagination go for a minute. How much bigger was God than Adam and Eve that he got down and he knelt and he blessed them? Can you imagine the father kneeling down and embracing his new creation, Barak, kneeling down and embracing his new creation and imparting into them the ability of the dominion mandate to fill, to subdue, to multiply, to have dominion. He blessed them with this dominion mandate and the Jews would say it like this, tikkun olam, tikkun olam, which means the restoration of all things. And so that dominion mandate has never left us as a people, and we all know the story of Adam and Eve, but God blessed them in this. 1 Corinthians 15 says this in verse 45, for the scripture says the first man, Adam, was created a living being, but the last Adam, Jesus Christ, is the life-giving spirit. It is not the spiritual that comes first, First, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first Adam made of earth came from the earth. The second Adam came from heaven. Now, this is what we and who we are born of. The Bible says Jesus Christ, the firstborn among many brethren, and that's male and female. doesn't matter that it's a male connotation. Those who belong to the earth are like the one who is made of earth. Those who are of heaven say, that's me are like the one who came from heaven. Just as we wear the likeness of the man made of earth, so we will wear, wow, let revelation hit your heart. We will wear the likeness of the man from heaven. What I mean, friends, is that what is made of flesh and blood cannot share in God's kingdom, and what is mortal cannot possess immortality. Listen to this secret truth. We shall not all die, but when the last trumpet sounds, we shall all be changed in an instant as quickly as the blinking of an 
and I, for when the trumpet sounds, the dead will be raised, never to die again, and we shall be changed. For what is mortal must be changed into what is immortal. What will die must be changed into what cannot die. And I love this because what did Jesus declare of himself? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Say it with me, the resurrection and the life. That word resurrection, it's the word anastasis. Anastasis. And it means simply this, to get up again. Buddha never got up again. Krishna never got up again. Muhammad never got up again. Nobody, Confucius never got up again. Nobody ever got up again when they went into the grave but the Lord Jesus Christ. He got up again and he is the anastasis and he is the breath of life, the zoe. If you've got life in your lungs, if you've got breath in your lungs, you've got the zoe living inside of you and that's what Jesus said he was. He said, I am the very breath in your lungs like the song we sang this morning. It's your breath in our lungs so we pour out your praise. That's scriptural, that's biblical because Jesus said he was the life that was inside of us. And we were in Israel just a, a few days ago. You guys know that because our dear pastor keeps saying, hey, I went to Israel. I love it. It's, it's like an inside joke for us now. Hey, did you go to Israel? I went to Israel. We went to Israel. I love it. Don't you love Pastor Francisco? He, he is so full of love and joy. Like it's just joy that just overflows him. But we were there, and we were at the, the literal eastern gate, and the eastern gate is the gate that Moshiach comes through, the anointed one comes through, Messiah. He comes through this gate. Now, uh, Solomon the Magnificent, who conquered Jerusalem, he knew about the Jewish Messiah. He knew about the stories, and he knew that the Messiah comes through the eastern gate. So what did he do? He blocked it off. When you look at the eastern gate in Israel, it's completely blocked off with cement and stones and all of that, and the other thing he knew was that it was unclean for a Jewish Messiah, a Jewish rabbi, to walk on a graveyard. So he planted a graveyard there, the famous graveyard on the Mount of Olives. But I'm telling you, Jesus is Messiah that walks through walls. He is the one that raises the dead. He is the one that is clothed in what cannot die. And friends, the scripture says here in 1 Corinthians, we wear the likeness of Jesus. We wear the the likeness of him who cannot die, who cannot be conquered, who cannot be stopped, who cannot be shut up. The Lord Jesus who walks through walls and raises the dead everywhere he goes, everywhere his foot steps, there is life because he is the one that got up again and he has life inside of him. So when this takes place and the mortal has been changed into the immortal, then the scripture will come true. Death, oh, let this hit your heart. Death is destroyed and victory is complete. Where death is your victory, where death is your power to hurt, death gets its power to hurt from sin and sin gets its power from the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, my dear friends, stand firm and steady, keep busy always in your work for the Lord since you know that nothing you do in the Lord's service is ever useless. Now what are we talking about? You're commissioned. 
You're commissioned. And you might say, well, my call isn't to go to the nations. I'm not ever going to be in Russia with 3,000 hungry people storming an altar. I'm not ever going to be, you know, traveling to Croatia. I'm not ever going to be doing these things. You might just be sweeping a floor. You might be cleaning a bathroom. You might be taking care of children. You might be working as a mechanic in a car garage. Whatever you do for the Lord is part of your commissioning. See, we've got to put the super on our natural. We've got to put the super on our mundane. We've got to see the Lord in everything we do. And friends, there is nothing that binds you from sharing the kingdom wherever you go. And in fact, this next move is going to be the nameless, faceless move. It's going to be the move of revivals breaking out in grocery stores. It's going to be the move of revivals breaking out in Walmart. It's going to be the move of people getting saved by the droves in restaurants. Restaurants are going to become like church services and revival services. This is the season in the earth that we are in and nothing you do for the Lord is useless. Nothing. Nothing. And so what the first Adam could not do and that he was weakened when he chose to sin, the second Adam did. And what the first Adam failed in, in Genesis 1:28, Jesus reinstated in Matthew 28, when he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all peoples. And so we are living in a season of harvest, but I want to, I want to make this clear. We are also living within a season of reformation, reformation in the earth. Henry Ford said this, if I gave people what they wanted, I would have given them faster horses. If I gave people what they wanted, I would have given them faster horses. Now consider the implications of that. If Henry Ford said, okay, you know, I'm just going to do a better horse-drawn buggy. I'm just going to do a better saddle. I'm just going to do better stirrups. I'm going to do better, you know, what those things are that kick the horse, spurs, you know. I'm just going to do better all these things. We would have never had the movement that put the world on wheels from Detroit or actually Dearborn, Michigan. But he said, I've got to innovate. I've got to take what is this mode of transportation that is, and I've got to reform it. And so we're in a season in the earth, in the church, where we've been prophesying this. Actually, the prophets have been saying for over 30 years that you're not even going to recognize the way we do church in the coming days. And everybody thought, well, that's not coming true. That prophecy's not real. That prophecy's never going to happen until COVID hit. And then everybody that demonized the web church had a web church. Everybody that criticized online discipleship had online discipleship because it was the only way that they could do it. And so we see now that the Lord has actually multiplied the ministry. If we have eyes to see, everything that looks negative can be looked at positively. I'm telling you, because the, the devil never wins. He never wins. God always wins. And so we say, well, COVID destroyed this and destroyed that. No, COVID gave us a different paradigm. That reset gave us a different paradigm. And I know there's things that happened that weren't right and all of that. But it gave us a different paradigm, and now we see that the ministry can be multiplied through the internet. I'm prophesying, actually, the Lord spoke to me several months ago that the internet's about to get an upgrade. And so in this upgrade, we're not going to look at it as evil. There will be evil things with it, like there's evil things with the current World Wide Web. But we're going to see an upgrade in the way that we're able to do ministry when the internet gets an upgrade as well. It's going to be more interactive. The, the thing we're going to have to watch with it is that it's going to be highly 
chemically addictive. And so we're going to have to watch that chemically with people's brains. We're going to have to pastor them through that. But all that to say, we're going to have virtual churches. We're going to have like virtual interactive churches. And I believe that God's even going to use people to heal people through those means that people physically in their bodies are going to get healed when somebody touches them and lays hands on them virtually. So I know that might sound a little out there, but I'm telling you it's coming. And don't look at it as a thing of the devil. Look at it as a God opportunity in the time we live in because the devil never wins. God always wins. He always causes us to triumph. He always gives us the victory. And so in the body of Christ, many times we cry out for faster horses. God, give us better of the same old, same old. Give us better services. Give us better conferences. Give us better this. And none of that's wrong. But God is saying, do you have eyes to see the harvest? Do you have eyes to see the harvest? We're waiting for a microphone and a title of pastor, apostle, or this or that. When God says, you are commissioned. You are authorized and deputized wherever you go. Just like Joshua 1.18 says, wherever you set the sole of your foot, I have given you the land. I have given you the territory. It's time to take the territory. We're still going to have power. We're still going to have different things. Just like the, the horse-drawn carriage, it had power. It was a mode of transportation. It was a mode of protection. It still had value. But the automobile was so other, it was such an upgrade, and that's what we're coming to in the body of Christ. I know some things, but I don't know other things, all of how it's going to look. But I'm telling you, we're in that season. It's so other that it's going to revolutionize the way that we do church and that we do the kingdom. Now, you don't reform junk. You don't reform what is useless. And some people, they, they have maybe the perspective that God is done with his church or that God is angry with his bride or angry with the body. That's not my perspective. I, my perspective is that even if my wife and I have a fight, she's still my bride. Even if I do something stupid, which Jesus never does anything stupid, but we as the bride, sometimes we do some stupid things, right? But I, I never ever break covenant with the bride and Jesus never breaks covenant with his bride. God is never gonna be done with the church and you don't reform what is useless or has no value you reform what has great value to you because to reform something takes time it takes input it takes effort and so God is reforming the church because of the great value that we have to him we are no longer on the cusp of we can't say that anymore we can't prophesy that anymore we can't talk about that anymore we are no longer on the cusp of but we are in the midst of revolution for the body of of Christ and we have been commissioned for great change. Say great change. So number one, this, I haven't even gotten to number one. That's why I say I got to be careful here. So number one, <laughs> the Lord has commissioned every single one of us as his witnesses on the earth. Acts 1 and verse 8, but you, say you, shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Say power. And you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now let's say it again, power. When I have you say these things, I want you to repeat them because I want them to get into your spirit. I want them to get deep in your spirit. And what we say gets deep in our spirit. What we write gets deep in our spirit. Now, there's two words for power in the Greek. There's the word dunamis. And dunamis is the explosive power, the explosive force of God. It's like where we get our word dynamite from. That's the power of God. Have you ever been laid hands on and you feel like a thousand like bricks just hit you, like a truck just ran over you? I remember when I was first saved and baptized in Holy Spirit, those for me happened on the same 
same night. I was saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit on the same night. I was on a very bad, destructive path for my life. I'm so grateful to God. I was on a very destructive path for my life, and God intervened sovereignly and supernaturally. This little lady, I'm not real tall. I'm maybe 5'9". I don't know. Am I 5'9 or 5'10? Something like that. But this little lady, she came up to about here on me. She fits snugly under my chin, just like my mom Victoria does. And she said, uh, after I was playing drums, I still loved my pastor, even though I wasn't really walking with the Lord. And I've always loved music, guitar, piano, drums, whatever. I, I just love music. And so I still love my pastor, and I was playing drums because my pastor asked me to, and then after playing drums at worship practice, I was going to do something really stupid and ruin my life potentially. And, so, and I won't get into the details of it, but after worship practice, as I was about to leave and walk out the door, this woman, her name was Deborah Cressman, she said, can I pray for you? And I said, sure, whatever. I, had, I didn't expect anything at all to happen. Now, what am I talking about? You are commissioned you are commissioned. This was a worship leader in a church that was maybe 50 people, maybe 50 people, the church that I grew up in, my home church. And so she was there. She felt the Lord sent her and her husband. And so she said, can I pray for you? And had no expectation for anything to happen. And so she laid her hand on my head, just as gentle as a feather. And it was like somebody took me and threw me on the ground. I mean, literally. And like an elephant was sitting on my chest. I couldn't get up. I couldn't move. I actually was kind of concerned. I had seen hypnosis and different occult things on TV, and I thought maybe this person was one of those people, and I said, what did you do to me? What did you do to me? And she said, that's just the power of God. <laughs> it's just the power of God. And, and then my whole body, from my head to my feet, started burning. I mean, I felt like somebody lit me on fire. My whole body started burning. Some people feel electricity. I felt fire this fire, and it started burning. And I said, I'm burning, I'm burning, I'm burning. And she said, that's just the fire of God. <laughs> just kind of walked me through it, you know. And then I started weeping out of me. I just started weeping. I said, what is this? And in the midst of my sobs and in the culture and inner city that I grew up in, you don't cry, especially if you're a guy. You're going to be beat up. You're going to be mocked, humiliated. You're never, you're never going to live that one down. And so for me to start sobbing uncontrollably had to be God. And I was sobbing. I said, what is this? And she said, that's the love of God. That's the love of God. And it was the love of God that changed my life changed my life. And then all of a sudden, out of me started coming these words. I heard words in my stomach. That's the only way I can describe it. I heard words in the pit of my stomach. And I said, I hear words. I hear words. And she knew enough. She said, let them out. So I started, I started speaking in tongues and let out the heavenly language that was coming out of me. And then she proceeded to prophesy to me. And it was back, I'm, I'm not real, I'm 39, but this was year 2000, 2000, uh, or no, 99, because I was 16. And she started prophesying to me and writing down what she was prophesying. This was before you could just grab your smartphone and record what you were prophesying to somebody. But she started writing down as she was prophesying to me, and she prophesied about me going to nations, and man, I get emotional just thinking about it, going to nations and being used by God as a revivalist, a lot of the things that I'm walking in now, some of the things she said, I still am not walking in, but I know I will, I know I will, as God has been faithful to bring me to this point, he'll be faithful to bring me further, but see, that is the dunamis, the dunamis changes your life, the dunamis is like, like a bomb going off inside of you, and so how many have experienced what I'm talking about, just wave at me if 
if you've experienced the dunamis power of God. If you haven't, you will. God has that, has that for you. He has it for you maybe this weekend. I don't know. Maybe right now. Maybe, maybe tonight, you know. Maybe last night you experienced it for the first time as we were crying out, as Ben and Jody were ministering to us so powerfully. I loved uh, what they were saying last night. It really struck me about what Jody said of uh, that the opportunity has to be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. And so that's the moment that we're living in in the earth, friends. And so, so dunamis power, the other power that we see is the power of exousia. Exousia. And exousia is not dynamite power. Exousia is authority. Say authority. It's like when the policeman wears the badge. He has the badge on. That badge represents his exousia. He might have muscles. He might have, you know, strong legs, and he can run, and he can lift, and he can jump, and all of that. But all of that without the badge really means nothing. He's just a regular dude without the badge, right? He's just like you or like me. But with the badge, it's something else. With the badge, it says, I am set apart within my community as a watchman to serve and protect, right? The, the the slogan of the police, to serve and to protect. And so that badge sets him apart. That's what exousia does for you. The exousia, not just the dunamis, but the exousia power of God sets you apart and it gives you that badge that is authorized and deputized that you have power to do what God has called you to do. So you don't just have explosive power, you have explosive authority. And in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority, say all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Colossians 2.14 says this, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed powers and authorities, or some versions say powers and principalities, the word there would be archon, archon in the Greek, if you want to look that up, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, Paul Paul was a citizen of Rome. You remember when, when Paul came into dispute with the authorities of the Jewish culture, he said, I appeal to who? I appeal to Caesar, right? I appeal to Caesar because he was a citizen of Rome. And Paul is the one that wrote Colossians, historians tell us. And Paul writing this put in this scripture a connotation. And the connotation was a Roman connotation when he said that he has disarmed powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them. Whenever the Romans would go in to a new province or to a new territory, say it was Germania or it was, you know, modern day Croatia, the Slavic peoples, the, the Illyric tribes. The Bible talks about Paul ministering to the Illyric tribes. That would be modern day Croatia down by the Adriatic Ocean. And so when Rome went into a different uh, province or region, they would take the leader of that province or region and they would bring them before their people and publicly in the city square, they would strip them of whatever signified their authority, whether that was a scepter or a robe or a hat or whatever it might be in their particular culture that signified their, their kingship or their chieftain or whatever it might be. And they would strip them of that in front of everybody. And then it sounds brutal, but it's true. They would tie them behind horses and they would drag them through the city squares and they would proclaim that this foe of the Roman Empire is defeated and they are overcome. When Paul wrote this, that is what 
what he was trying to make as a connotation. And so in other words, what Paul was saying is that when Jesus conquered death, hell, in the grave, when Jesus conquered powers and principalities on the cross, he literally tied them behind chariots of heaven and heavenly horses, and he rode them through the cosmos and dragged them through every universe that is known or unknown to humanity as defeated foes. It says he triumphed over them and he made them a public spectacle. And so there was this cosmic victory that was proclaimed before all and before time began and for all time that Jesus Christ is king, undisputed, heavyweight champion of the world, Jesus Christ. So we have power and we have exousia. When Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, that's the connotation. He drove them, he drugged them through the cosmos as defeated foes. He put his foot on the neck of the enemy and said, I now have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And because all authority was given to him, he gave that authority to us. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the leader who shares authority. The world tells you that to climb the ladder and to be the best and to be the leader, you have to be above everybody else. You have to be above everybody. And obviously, Jesus is above all of us. But the authority that he received in sharing in the sufferings, the cup that he drank, that he asked in Gethsemane, let this cup be taken away from me, he has deputized and authorized us with that authority on the earth for the sake of his kingdom. Do you get a picture of who you are? Are. You are commissioned. We have power, we have authority, and we are witnesses. Now, witness is the word martus. Say that with me, martus. And it means a witness, an eye or an ear witness. Wow. Have you witnessed with your eyes? Have you heard with your ears of the works of God? Have you seen and have you heard what Jesus has done? Has he done it for your life? Has he done it for your family? Has he done it in your region, in your territory? We are eye and ear witnesses of what the Lord has done. And now this is the word that we derive martyr from. You will be my witnesses, martus. That's where we get our word martyr. And when we think of this, we think of martyr as somebody that dies for Jesus. But I actually believe that a martyr is somebody who lives for Jesus. And along that path, along that journey, they may taste death in this earth earth, but actually it's only the beginning of their journey. See, death on the earth is only the beginning. It's only the beginning of the journey for us. And in fact, the Bible says to live with Christ, but to die is gain. And so a martyr is somebody who literally lives for Jesus. He lives for him. All the early apostles were martyrs, both in the sense that they were witnesses and in the sense that they died for Christ. Peter, the apostle, was crucified upside down on a cross because he didn't want to bear the same honor that his Lord did by being crucified right side up. Andrew was the one that went to the land, what they called the land of the man-eaters. And that would be modern-day Soviet Union, the land of the man-eaters. That's why that part of the world, many of those denominations, they venerate Andrew rather than Peter, like the, the Catholics venerate Peter as the first pope, but they venerate Andrew because he's the apostle that went to them. He was crucified. You know, Thomas was run through with a sword 
sword or a spear in what would be modern day India. James was thrown off the southern pinnacle of the temple where we just were and Pastor Desiree led us in worship, thrown off the southern pinnacle of the temple where just a few years before they had baptized 3,000 people and he was thrown off and killed and thrown to his death. What would cause people to do that? What would cause people to live lives of that, that they had encountered the living God? They were an ear and an eyewitness and they said, we've encountered something and we cannot go back. The apostle, the only one that wasn't martyred was, they tell us they believed John. They tried to boil John, the apostle, in oil and when they couldn't kill him, what did they do? They exiled him to where? To Patmos. And so now we have Revelation, the book of Revelation. And Revelation, we have to understand it outside of time. And we also have to understand Revelation through a lens of a code because there was a code that Jewish writers would use because the only way to get the scrolls off the island of Patmos, he would have had to call certain things, certain things. For instance, the Roman Empire, he would have called Babylon. And so many things, but many things have already happened that we read in Revelation. Many things are going to happen. Some things are currently happening because it's the word of God and the word of God is living and active. It exists outside of time. And every prophecy in the Bible, in the Old or the New Testament, exists in the here and now. It exists then and it also exists in the future because God's word is outside the confines of time. And so it's just very interesting when we think of that. But that's the only one that wasn't marked martyred was John, not because they didn't try, but because when they tried, they literally couldn't kill him. And so this is the type of glory that we're talking about. This is the type of encounter with the Lord, being an eye and ear witness that literally causes us to lay our very lives down for the Lord to seize the opportunity within the lifetime of the opportunity. What is more worth it? Who is more worth it? There's no one. It's only him. It's only Jesus, and when you've tasted of the real thing, when you've tasted of him, you can't go back. That's why some people say to me, you know, why are you guys, when, when they say you guys, they mean kind of our tribe, right? Why are you guys so hell-bent on revival? And I say, well, we're not hell-bent. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of heaven-bent, you know, don't you think? And they say, well, why are you so bent on revival? That's all you talk about. That's all you preach about. That's all, you know. But see, revival, what we call revival was early New Testament Christianity. They were living in revival. They were living in signs and wonders and miracles. They were living in the living flame of God. What we call revival, and friends, we need revival because we're not living the way that they lived. We're supposed to get beyond Pentecost. We're supposed to go greater works than Jesus did, greater things than walking on water, greater things than walking through walls, greater things than turning water to wine, greater things than, than causing blind eyes to open and all of that. And we're supposed to get beyond that and do greater things but we can't even live up to the things. And so if we can't live up to the things, then we need revival because the Lord needs to resuscitate what is dead and what is not alive. We need revival. Revival is the only way we can turn this nation around. Revival is the only hope that America has. The only hope that this planet Earth has is a sweeping, massive, fire-breathing revival that literally transforms society that they say like they said to the early 
early apostles, those that turned the world upside down have now come here and they literally shook when the apostles came into their provinces and came into their regions because they knew the power of God. One of my favorite stories with the apostle Paul is when people warn Agabus, warns him not to go up to Rome. And he warns him and he says, you know, the I'm paraphrasing, but he says, pain is waiting for you. Death is waiting for you if you go up to Rome. And Paul says, I'm going anyway. I'm going anyway. And what do they do? The prophecy comes true. It's one of the most interesting prophecies in the entire New Testament because it comes true. It actually happens. What happens is what is said would happen. But then they beat Paul. They drag him outside of the city. And what does he do? He gets up and he goes back in the city. That is a person that is gripped as a martus, an eye and an ear witness of the Lord. And once you've truly encountered the Lord, there's no going back. There's no going back to normal life. There's no going back to the way things were. And friends, we've got to get gripped with a vision of eternity. We've got to get gripped with a vision of future generations. We've got to get gripped with a vision of what things can can look like if we will lay our lives down, not wait for somebody else to do it, not wait for another generation to do it, not wait for those that have gone before us, you know, the older ones to do it. You and me, if you have breath in your lungs right now, that we lay our lives down for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of revival. Thank you, Lord. So what would cause this kind of devotion glory? So number two, we are commissioned from the glory. Acts 1, 15, 120 are gathered in the upper room. Now I want us to see a few things here. To form an official council at that time in history, there had to be 120. So they formed an official council to come together to decide what? To decide who would take Judas's place. And so they draw the lots and there comes Matthias. But there had to be 120 because that was the requirement at that time in history to form an official council. There were 120 elders in Ezra's government in Israel, the ones that found the book, that found the word of God. Ezra, Nehemiah rebuilt the temple. The glory came and filled the temple. 120 elders in Ezra's government. Even still today in the Knesset, the seat of government in Israel, there are 120 seats in the Knesset, the government of Israel. And so I want us to see this here, that God gathered his people together on the day of Pentecost when Jesus had ascended to heaven and he said, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. He gathered 120 together because he was forming a new governing force in the earth, the governing force of the glory of the Lord. And a force that is commissioned to govern has to govern by the glory. We cannot govern with a paradigm of authority alone. When we govern by a paradigm of authority alone, we get focused on authority and then pride and ego are really easy to slip in. We've got to govern by a paradigm of intimacy. We've got to govern by a paradigm of glory. We've got to govern by a paradigm of humility. Jesus said, the leaders of the Gentiles lord it over them, not so you. If you want to be great, you've got to be low. You've got to be the servant of all. If you want to go up, like Misty Edwards said, it's an inside-outside 
upside down kingdom. Lose to gain, die to live. And so God was forming a new government and we know it, Acts chapter two, but I'm gonna read it. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, there was a fullness of time. I want us to see that. There's a fullness of time. Kairos is a Greek word that means fullness of time or an opportune time. And Jesus knows the Kairos times and the people of God can know the Kairos times, but the enemy also knows the Kairos times. When, when the enemy tempted Jesus in the wilderness, it said that he departed from him until when? Until an opportune time. If you look up the word in the Greek, you will find the word kairos. So the devil left him until a kairos moment would appear again. And so the enemy knows the kairos times. We're to know the kairos times and we're to have the anointing of the sons of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do. That's the prophetic that understand the times. And then it's the apostolic <clears throat> who know what to do. And in th those two anointings moving and working together in the earth. So there was a fullness of time. There was a Kairos moment. And friends, we are in a fullness of time moment. And we have got to seize this moment for all it's worth as Jody so powerfully was admonishing us last night. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord they were all in unity. You know the word for unity? It's symphoneo. Symphoneo. When you and I agree, when you and I are in unity, we form a heavenly symphony. And so they were there and they were in one accord and they were in one place and suddenly, say suddenly. This is a season of suddenlies. I'm going to declare it to you prophetically today. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Now, friends, it wasn't a wind. When I was growing up in Sunday school, how many appreciate Sunday school? We would sing that song. On the day of Pentecost, the rushing mighty wind blew into the upper room and baptized all of them. You ever sing that song? Maybe I'm the only one. How many remember flannel graph? You remember flannel graph, the little things that they would put on the flannel graph? I was somewhere and I said, how many remember flannel graph? And nobody raised their hands. I was like, was I the only kid from the 80s that had flannel graph? Come on, y'all. But friends, it wasn't a wind, it was a sound that was as a rushing mighty wind. The word for that there is literally like a hurricane, a hurricane. We've got our brother, Pastor Cuthbertson, who lives in the land of, of not of hurricanes, but tornadoes in Oklahoma. I've never been in a tornado. My wife has been in a tornado. We don't have tornadoes in Pennsylvania. I never grew up with tornadoes, but my wife has been in one. Her mother actually hid her under a bridge while a tornado passed by in Michigan. They have them every now and then in Michigan. And she remembers the sound. She said the sound was absolutely terrifying. And that is what's described here. There was a sound like a hurricane, a sound like a tornado, and the sound baptized them. What's happening in Asbury? What's happening in Pasadena, where Keely, our friend, is leading worship for seven and a half hours? Are you kidding me? That's supernatural. 
It has to be supernatural. I can't preach for seven and a half hours. I sure as, you know, cannot play drums for seven and a half hours. I mean, can you think of doing that? I can't sing for seven and a half hours, but Keely did it. It's supernatural because what? A sound is coming to baptize us again. A sound is coming from heaven to literally thrust us forth into a new dimension, into a new reality in this kingdom age, in this season of revival we are in. So there was a sound that came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. I know I'm intense. It's like drinking from a a fire hose. Jody and I commiserate sometimes. It's like, you know, people have said things to her. I remember this one guy said to me one time after I was done preaching, he said, wow, uh, I'm surprised you can still breathe. You know? <laughs> and I, you know what I said? I just said, thank you. Thank you so much. So I know I'm intense, but I feel like you're feeling it, right? Come on, we're in it together, right? So it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were commissioned from the glory, from the glory. And in this season, God is commissioning us from the glory. Let your imagination go for a minute, and let's just think and consider for a minute, could it have been, I'm not saying I I can theologically prove this or anything, okay? So don't, so don't call me a heretic, okay? But c- could it have been the literal cloud of fire, the pillar of fire that was with the Israelites in the wilderness that led them through the wilderness, a fire by day and a cloud by night that abode at the tabernacle, that abode at the place of the dwelling of the people of God, the tabernacle of Moses. Could it have been that that same pillar of fire came in like the sound of a rushing mighty wind and divided out and literally rested upon each and every one of them and gave them utterance, language from heaven. Could it have been, I don't know, I can't prove it theologically, but could it have been that the same glory came in? And obviously it was the same glory, but could it have even looked the same to the children of Israel as they were gathered for the next thrust, the next move, the next era that God was bringing them into? They were commissioned from the glory. And friends, we have got to be commissioned from the glory. The mind is not enough. The intellect is not enough. I'm not saying that the intellect or the, uh, that the mind are evil. We need to be theologians. We need, the Bible says study to show yourself approved, that you could be a workman who need not be ashamed. But, but the mind is not going to get you there. Greek and Hebrew are not going to get you there. Understanding practical theology and all these things that are fine, that are good, it's not going to get you there. It cannot be grasped by the mind or the arm of flesh. It has to be from the glory. And we need to be commissioned from the glory. We've seen what happens when people are not commissioned from the glory. Nothing changes. We have another religious institution and God bless them and God bless their intentions and their hearts and I'm all for churches everywhere. I'm all for believers everywhere. Whatever faith expression that they have, they don't have to be charismatic, okay? And so I'm not talking about that. But we've seen what happens when people are commissioned from the mind alone. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change society. It is not what Jesus came to lay his life down for. He came to lay his life down for a revolution. 
condition. He came to lay his life down for something that couldn't be stopped and couldn't be quenched. You know when a dictatorship falls? A dictatorship falls statistically when people lose the fear of death. That's when a dictatorship falls. When people lose the fear of death, there's nothing more that dictator or that oligarch or that totalitarian leader can do to, you know, intimidate them and make them afraid and, and manipulate them. There's nothing more that can be done because they've lost the fear of death. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, but we leave out the third one sometimes and by loving not our lives to death. And God is looking for martus, for martyrs who would be released from the glory. Not people who are just willing to take a bullet for Jesus. I'm willing to take a bullet for Jesus. But I'm telling you, who will live for Jesus? God's looking for living martyrs. Those that lay their lives down every single day. That their feet hit the floor. They say, Jesus, my life is not my own. I've been bought at a price and my life is yours. My day is yours. My time is yours. My schedule is yours yours no matter what you want it's yours Jesus it's yours I martyr my comfort I martyr my schedule I martyr my reputation I martyr people's opinions I martyr all of that that's what God is looking for Isaiah was one who was commissioned by the glory it says in Isaiah 6 in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Did you guys see the, the mist yesterday that was up here? Maybe there's some logical explanation. It was smoke. Maybe there was some logical explanation, but I couldn't, I mean, this wasn't, you know, burning. The oil was on the table. Wow. Yeah. It was a hazer. Okay. It was a hazer. So it wasn't the glory count. It was a hazer. And I'm glad that you said that. <laughs> I don't know what a hazer is. But hey, let's believe that that's a sign of what's to come. <laughs> that the glory cloud's coming in. So he saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, fire angels. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, friends, the earth is not full of the enemy. The earth does not belong to the enemy. The earth is not under the dominion of the enemy. Our Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and the earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me. See, repentance, repentance is a natural response to an encounter of the glory. And I don't care how sanctified you are, when God shows up, I am repenting. Because there's always glory to glory, faith to faith, strength to strength, right? God is always taking us to a new level. So he cries out, and friends, repentance means this. It's metanoia. The Greek word is metanoia, and it means to change your mind. Change your mind. And so sometimes when we think of repentance, we think of all these big sins, sexual sins, alcohol, drugs, whatever, adultery. But repentance is to change your mind. And so there are many things we've got to repent of in this season. We've got to change our mind about a lot of things in this season. Change our mind about what we believe is ours. <laughs> What we believe we own, what we believe belongs to us, because none of it belongs to us. 
It belongs to the Lord. Then I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord's Sabaoth, the God of legions and legions and legions of angel armies. Then he flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips. I copied the wrong translation from Google. And thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Hineni selaheni. That's the Hebrew. Hineni selaheni. Here I am. Send me. He was sent from the glory. He was commissioned from the glory. And that's our cry today. I'm going to skip my third point because the glory just came in in a different, in a different way. So I'm done preaching. And so just lift your hands. And this needs to be our cry. And, and the Lord is going to reveal to each and every one of us. This is a holy moment. And the Lord is going to reveal to each and every one of us what it is that we are being sent into. It's a go season. It's a season of a fresh commissioning. And you are commissioned from the glory. You don't need any human to lay hands on you, even though that's wonderful and glorious. But you are commissioned by the Lord from the glory. And so let's lift our hands and let's say like Isaiah, Hineni, Hineni, here I am. Here I am, send me, God. Lord, send us into the highways and the byways. Send us to the mansions and the poorhouses. Send us to the rich and God, the impoverished. Send us everywhere that you would send us. Send us to the nations. Send us to the grocery store. Send us to the neighbor. Send us to the kings and princes. Send us, God, to everything that you have commissioned us for in this season. And Lord, you said in your word, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Lord, I thank you right now for, for literally showing each and every person in this room what sphere of influence, what assignment that you are commissioning them afresh into in this season, that they are to go, that they are a sent one, apostolo, sent from the glory, sent from an encounter, sent from the living flame of God that abides in the people of God, sent into the place that you have for them. Lord, I thank you for revelation right now that you unlock the seer realm right now, God. That you unlock that Issachar anointing that understands the times and seasons. That you unlock that Habakkuk anointing that positions themselves properly to see what the Lord would say to them. That you unlock the oracle of the Lord. That you unlock dreams and visions. That you unlock the word of the Lord. That you unlock the Nabi anointing that bubbles up inside of your people like living waters. That you unlock it right now, God, in the name of Jesus. And you reveal right now, God, what it is that you have assigned each and every one of us to and where you are commissioning us from the glory to go in this go season. And we say, Hineni. Just say that one more time. Hineni. Hineni. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. Send me. We say yes. Lord, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you could have said all kinds of things. But you said, not my will, but yours be done. 
And in this moment, Jesus, we say that. Not my will, but yours be done. Whatever it looks like, whatever it feels like, whatever it costs. And we say like David, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. We give you our very lives. We say yes to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.